0: You can also subscribe at PeopleProcesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content. Here is your host, Rami Alajil, author and CEO of People Processes.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited today to present you Michael O'Brien. He is the chief shift officer at Peloton Executive Coaching. He helps leaders prevent bad moments from turning into a bad day. He has shared his personal transformational last bad day story and leadership advice on TEDx stage with Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneur, fast company, real simple, ABC, NBC. We're so excited to have him on. And uh, Michael, I want to welcome you to the show.
2: Thanks, Rami. I've been looking forward to this. I can't wait to sit down with you and have a nice little chat about people and process and all that good stuff.
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear because a lot of the, you know, when you think about executive coaching, uh, a lot of people, they, they, they think it's a little woo woo, right? Sometimes it's a little bit more, how are you feeling and what are those kind of things? And, and I know there's some, there's some truth to that. There is just a personal connection there, but Uh, I, I want to talk about the steps you go through, the processes that actually create change that you work on. Does that kind of make sense?
2: That makes perfect sense, and you're right. like executive coaching in one camp, when people hear they're getting an executive coach, are like, "Oh boy, I'm in trouble. This can't be a good thing." Right. Another camp is like, "Oh, is this some woo-woo like you know life coaching thing?" And then there's a camp that's growing that says, "You know what? this is a smart thing to do. I need someone in the trenches with me because business and life are just getting more complex as we go forward.
1: Absolutely. Well, before we dive into that though, Michael, I I actually asked this question of uh, all of my guests and it's one of the, whenever I get feedback about the show, everyone says they enjoy this part the most. They learn a lot from it. You have a specific story that I know you're probably going to use, but here's the question I ask everybody. Um, you're on top of the world right now. You've, 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 you've built a life and a coaching platform that that's taking care of you and and I'm excited for you, but not everybody's in that position right now. And you haven't always been in that position. So I'm hoping you'll be willing to tell me the story of your worst leadership entrepreneurial moment um, that, and and really take us to that story. Tell us about that day, what was going on and what the results were from it. Uh, Because people, a lot of times learn more from our worst days are <laughs> mistake days, uh, than they do from our best ones. So why don't you tell us that story?
2: Yeah. So there, there's a couple stories that come to mind. So obviously, you know, some of my backstory about my last bad day, as I call it, which was mm-hmm. the day I got hit head on by, by an SUV when I was out on a bike training ride, but I want to like, before we get into that, I'm going to share another story okay. with you, um, it was early in my entrepreneurial life. So I had spent 22 years in corporate America. I, the last job I held was general manager for sales marketing operations for a global pharmaceutical company. So I was sort of on top of the world a little bit. Yeah, It was top 20 pharma companies. So I was doing pretty well, but I decided to follow my purpose, decided to follow my passion and start my executive coaching career. And it was about 2016. So I was about a year and a half into it. And I had to do a talk as you do. And I went to a new client to do this talk, I was going to be a brand new talk, although I didn't really prep all that well. We had some family issues, mom and dad are getting older. And so I find myself in that sandwich generation of having kids in college and having elderly parents. And I drove up to meet with them to take care of them. And then I drove to my client in the middle of the night. So I didn't sleep at all. I didn't really have the time or didn't dedicate the time to do my talk, really prep well. And I was trying to do something new because I wanted to hit it big. I wanted them to love me. And Rami, it was a disaster. Oh, Absolute disaster. I was 15 minutes into it and lost my way. In fact, I, for the first time in my whole life, in my whole corporate career, I said, can we stop like I you know and I I could feel like the beads of sweat on my back and my heart rate was you know racing and wow. the blood pressure was up and I was just off that day it was a disaster and I just wanted the whole day to be over and eventually it ends the day's over I got to my car and I called my wife and I said I I stunk up the joint it was horrible and she's like oh you're probably making a bigger deal of it than you realize <laughs> And I said, No, no, no. I really this time I really did. I, I smelled up the place. And she's like, Well, what do you want to do? And I, well, this was definitely a moment of resilience. And I I thought the whole entrepreneurial journey for me in that moment was over. I was like, This is gonna be so embarrassing. Uh-huh. They're never gonna want me to do another thing for them again. Who am I kidding? I should have just stayed in corporate America. So I drove home from Boston. I live in New Jersey. And I didn't listen to the radio the whole time. I just sort of thought about it, thought about the whole experience, and I when I got home the next day, I took you know I took a page out of my resilient book and decided to uh, write a blog post, share some on a podcast, and use the moment as a teaching moment to others and also a teaching moment to me, and that you when you fall down, you can get back up again, but hopefully you get back up with a little bit more wisdom. So you go in a bit of a different direction. So I'm happy to say that that day taught me a lot about prep and about focus and taking on too much. Mm -hmm. Also that you can survive your bad days if you choose to get back up again with resilience and move in a slightly different direction. And I'm happy to say that company is still one of my clients today uh, because it became one of the most authentic moments in their memory. And definitely one of the most authentic moments, although very difficult moment for me as an entrepreneur. Mm.
1: That's a great story. We, uh, uh, you know, no matter your profession, uh, you're going to have some bad days. I have a very similar story. uh, uh, This was just last year for me. It was, it's not, I wouldn't rank it as one of my worst entrepreneurial moments, but man, it's still, it sits in the pit of your stomach whenever there's that public kind of shame like that or, you know, you blow up. I, I had a, um, uh, my wife was seven months pregnant and I had a talk to do in, I think it was October of last year. It was not that long ago. And I was supposed to fly to LA. My wife and I were going to go, we were going to spend, you know, like two or three days out there before go to the, it was a big trade show for HR and We were going to kind of walk around and and, and explore the city. And right before we went, she got, she got sick. She got feverish and, you know, just kind of flew stuff in October. And I wound up, uh, so we said, well, we'll just delay. We'll, we'll fly out when you feel better or I'll just go without you. And it wound up being, um, I got sick too. And I still decided to go anyway. I flew out. It was like a, the, the speech was on a Friday. I flew out that morning. And just did a direct, like, I'm going to fly there. My talk's at two. I'll go give my talk and fly right back. But it was the first time I hadn't really honestly spent a whole lot. Like you mentioned, it was like things conspired. It was kind of the same talk I normally gave, but I didn't really prep for it. I didn't really know my audience as well as I was. I wasn't there for a few days. I didn't know who was in the room. Uh, and I went up there and talked for 45 minutes and I swear, man, the, the room was, there were, there were probably 30 people left in the room when I was done. Started with, oh
2: hundred. wow, it oh. was, it was
1: so bad and I, I couldn't even you, see. I feel, feel
2: your brother. <laughs> oh, That's um,
1: yeah. 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 So I've never, never followed up with them. I just went home, went home, went to sleep. And uh, no, i I did reach back out and 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 check in. It wasn't like a keynote. I was just one of the you know one of the speakers. And yeah, uh, I don't think they're having me back next year. Let's go with that. Yeah, but those um,
2: moments, uh, those moments yeah. are are great learning opportunities for all of us. And hey, the reality is that we all have a moment or two, hopefully not more than two, yeah. that can help us really define who we are. And then it puts you like, the, hey, that story. Puts you in a position to be an even better consultant and coach and partner to your clients because you've got absolutely
1: well, and it also you know it it seemed I had given I started speaking publicly in twenty eighteen. It has not been long. I'm I'm not really a public speaker. I I do it. It's I wound up keynoting almost twenty conferences in twenty nineteen. So I did a lot of speaking. I wasn't intending to, but I had a book come out that did well, and that's kind of what I did, Um, but. every single one of the talks went great, better than expected. I had no idea that I had a talent for it, that it was what I liked to do, that I could do it well, but I enjoyed it and it went great. Uh, And that's when I think that like beginner's luck wore off, (laughs) you know, and it's like, oh, this is actually a very difficult thing to do consistently and write. And it kind of taught me my limits on, on where that was. So heck of a thing. Um, but man, uh, th- that's a, that's a, a great story now, but that story, I mean, it, 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 it taught you a lot about resilience, but I think your origination story for kind of you t- you, in your, in your website, you talk a little bit about the story where that really kind of sets you up to change how you, um, view emit event, events like that. And I'd love to hear that story as well.
2: Yeah. So that, that is sort of like my, we'll call it my origin story. So it was yeah. July 11th, 2001. I was out for a company offsite in New Mexico. Most of your listeners can appreciate these off-sites. It was a fly out on Monday, fly back on Friday. Mm-hmm. And in between, Rami, they were going to torture us with PowerPoint and team-building activities. And I decided to bring my bike mm-hmm. to cross New Mexico off the states I've ridden my bike in. I have a goal of riding in all 50 states. Avid cyclist since I was a young kid. And I was going to get exercise and like breathe in. New Mexico. I had never been. I was all excited. And on that morning, I came around to Bend and a Ford Explorer was fully in my lane, traveling about 40 miles an hour based on what the police estimate and didn't have enough time to avoid him. I thought surely he would see me. He would swerve to avoid me. His whole, whole truck was fully in my lane. I was right on the white line, exactly where a cyclist is supposed to be. And I couldn't react fast enough. I remember... Hitting his grill into the windshield, I went, I still remember vividly, Rami, the screech of his brakes. And then I came to the asphalt below when he came to a, you know, halting stop and I regained consciousness and I was surrounded by EMTs, fire, police, emergency technicians. And I knew my life was in balance, in Mm -hmm. the balance. I knew, well, what I thought was, Hey, Michael, stay awake don't fall asleep. Whatever you do, if you fall asleep, you may never wake up again. And for me, growing up, I thought I was following the script to the letter of the law, like crossing every T, dotting every I. Like, here's the script you get, Michael, to be a boy, to be a man, to be a provider, a dad, a father, a leader. Follow the script and you'll have success. And I thought I was doing that. I was on my hamster wheel, grinding it out, Hustle and grinding, as they say. But I was also doing this. I was chasing happiness. And this is in 2001. So this is before we have some of our judgment social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, where it's so easy to compare ourselves to others. I was doing a lot of comparison, Hmm. you know, me against my colleagues, neighbors, trying to keep up with the Joneses, all that. I thought I would be happy once I got promoted, once I got that new car, the bigger house or all that jazz. And then here I was on the cold desert asphalt of New Mexico fighting for my life. And they put me on the medevac to take me to Albuquerque, the only trauma one center in the state. And I made a commitment to myself and was like, in the bargain you make when you're close to death, you're like, if I live, I'm going to change life. I'm going to change how I live my life. I'm going to stop chasing happiness. And off to the trauma center I went. The first surgery took about 12 hours. I spent four days in the ICU. I came out and the doctors told me about the extent of my injuries. They said, hey, your, your future is going to be a lifetime of limitations and dependency. Probably never going to be able to walk very well again. You're probably never going to get back on the bike. And in that moment, Rami, like my whole world was shattered. Here yeah. I made a commitment that I was going to stop chasing happiness. I couldn't find it, any happiness in that moment. Right. So I all I wanted was the old version of me, like the stress puppy who poured all the stress inside, because as a guy, you're not allowed to like be vulnerable. Right. That was the script I was following. So I'd pack the stress inside. And yeah, if you pack enough stress inside, eventually it bubbles up. And it it bubbled up in a in a form of an SUV. And when the doctors told me about, hey, your future is uncertain some of the emotions that we felt through the early stages of COVID in this country, the fear, the worry, the anxiety about the future, man, I felt all of those in those moments. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was bitter. I was even revengeful. I thought the driver shouldn't have been driving. He had a revoke license. You know, mm. he harmed me. Therefore I will harm him an eye for an eye. That's what I was taught growing up. And I stayed in that funk until a mentor told me, Hey, Michael, everything in your life is neutral until you label them, label your events. He said, nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. The meaning you're giving this whole thing right now is that you're the victim. And certainly I was. He said, you can change your perspective. You can reframe it. You can label this in any way that you want to label it. So that's your choice. So you can stay a victim to this, or you can find a way to rise up and respond to this accident and be known by your response to it as opposed to being defined by it and that was sort of the beginning of a big aha and a new way of living but it was a new way also i brought that back into my corporate life and i credit my accident and the recovery i do believe my accident happened for me not to me just like i believe covid is happening for us not to us it helped me lead in a different way that allowed me to get to the executive suite at a very young age. And so I credit my recovery as a, as a big driver in helping me reshape my life, shifting my life, if you will.
1: Wow. So when, um, when you came back, you, what were kind of the mental differences? What were some of the, obviously you, you, you moved from that kind of victim mentality to, uh, this somehow can be an opportunity, um, but what were some of the the differences in in maybe action or thought that that helped that you think made a difference in propelling you up to um those higher echelons of of the corporate world
2: yeah one of the big ones was the fact that each day i spend some time just being quiet when some people can call it meditation or mindfulness at the time of my accident my recovery i didn't know much about meditation i was like well that's mm. what like people in california do like the crunchy granola <laughs> Right. Woo-woo people, right? Those woo-woo coaches. That's what they do. I was like, but, it, but I, knew, I knew the mind was so powerful in sports. And I grew up mainly as a sports, as an athlete, more of an athlete than a scholar. Hmm. That's how I got through school. So I knew mindset was important. I knew if I could get my mind right, I could get my body right. That my thinking could shape my environment as opposed to allowing my environment, which I was doing to shape my thinking. I was thinking as a victim. So I knew I had to like change that. And when I had my big aha, the next morning, I decided I was just going to spend some time in the morning just to get quiet, to connect with my body and my mind and set my intentions so I could be present. So I think one of the big things, and I think this is even more important today in 2020 than back then, because now we have so many more gadgets to distract us. Mm-hmm. Is that great leaders need to be present and when we're present in the in the moment we can see more of our movie if we look at life as a movie when we're present when we can slow things down and connect with our breath we can see more frames of our movie and with that awareness then we can see you know our aperture if you will using a camera analogy widens and we can see more and with that then we have more options and right now today, we need more options to solve the complex problems that we're facing. So for me, one of the big steps is each morning, I get quiet, I set my intentions for the day, I ask, how do I wish to be today? What do I wish to do? What are my priorities, basically? And what do I wanna have more of at the end of the day? And those three questions frame frame my day. And I do check-ins throughout the course of the day, but pausing and connecting with our breath I think it's vital in our very busy hamster wheel type of life that many people are living. And I think a lot of people have felt in the early phases of COVID, this like adrenaline rush of that. We're so busy. We're even busier, but are we busy doing the things that matter? Are we busy on the things that will eventually move the needle towards what we want to create as a business owner?
1: I think all of that is, you know, that's excellent advice. And that, um, as an individual, um, I cannot recommend meditation enough. I, uh, I also, um, I mean, I, I, I meditate every morning. It's, uh, one of the key parts of my life. And I think it's one of the main reasons that I, like you, I can credit a lot of my success to having that intention each morning. Having said that, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit though, to the more corporate world here. I know as an executive coach a lot of what you do is kind of one-on-one with an executive and there's both a personal and professional aspect to it. But a lot of our listeners are more in the HR space. They're of course they too are leaders and 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 personal improvement and balancing is a good thing there. But if a HR person were sitting down with you and I and I, I don't want to say like if someone in charge of the uh, Scaling growth and efficiency of their of a staff comes and sits down with you, Michael. Where do you what advice or where, where do you even start with trying to figure out what sort of improvements at a corporate level uh, a company could do to try and increase the um, resilience, which I think is kind of one of your key terms of their employees. I know a lot of so there's a lot of stress going around inside companies too, is it anything that can be done at a corporate level or is it always individual action, um, individual, uh, not even action origination of these sorts of things? Is it ever a corporate, uh, um, um, program that kind of can actually move the needle on these things?
2: Yes, I think there definitely can be, and I would say probably should be given our moment in time. So we have many things to work on. You know, one, we have the health crisis known as COVID. We also have an economy that we're all working through. And now we're working through equity and equality issues that we have sort of tolerated over the last, um, you know, four centuries. So we have a lot that, you know, we have to face as HR professionals and corporate leaders. So I think at a corporate level, if the corporate leaders can role model the right behavior and show up with a more resilient mindset. It allows also the company to be more agile. And that's the thing I think resilience and agility can go hand in hand. And we, we need both. So my definition of resilience, many people have heard the famous saying, fall down seven, get back up eight. For me, it's when you get back up, how much wiser are you when you get back up? So we started off you know, sharing sort of like our worst moment of those speaking talks for both of us. So through that, we've learned a little bit more about how we prepare for our talks. So we fell down those two days, but we got back up with more wisdom. So we can move in a slightly different direction because the world is changing at an even faster rate than ever before. So who is to say what the future is going to look like five years from now? But I think we can all confidently say it's going to be faster and technology is going to drive that pace. So for me, at a corporate level, you can have you can have corporate initiatives around mindfulness or resilience. Some of the tips I give to my executives that I coach and also just folks mid-level and when I go out and speak is, so I have something called grabbing a PBR, which does not stand for what everyone thinks it stands for. The like <laughs> first thought is, so with that laughter, it's like a pap's blue ribbon. It's like, no, yeah, that's yeah. not it. So um for me, I, I developed this when I was in the hospital because I had moments where I got percolated, I got stressed. So grabbing a PBR is pause, breathe, and reflect. So we can slow it down, so we can go faster, we can go better, connect with our breath and reflect on, hey, what do we want to do and say next? That thoughtfulness can be so critical in the conversations that we're having so we can move so we can move the needle forward. So and it also gives us uh, that moment to say, okay, how do we want to look at the situation a little bit differently? Pulling from my accident, I first saw myself as a victim, but then I saw myself as, well, this is an opportunity, this is happening for me, not to me. So when we have challenges, grab a PBR, try to reframe it, where's the opportunity in it? Go back to our catalog of success, like yourself, Like all the different leaders listening, we've all had moments where we've struggled, where we faced a challenge, and so sometimes we can pull from those events to solve the problem that's current day. The other thing too is working on our relationships. The great thing about resilient people is that they have what I like to call as a strong peloton. For those that don't know, a peloton is a group of cyclists in a bike race like the Tour de France. They're all on different teams. They all come from different departments but they all need each other to go down the road as fast as possible. And we need a strong Peloton. It's my metaphor for a tribe at work. Mm. So we all need each other to go down the road as fast as possible to share the workload, to point out the hazards, to communicate with each other, to be there emotionally and physically to help us go a little bit faster tomorrow than we are today. So working on our relationships and spending, spending a little bit more time diving a little bit deeper with those, so we can have a much more powerful relationship with our colleagues. I think this moment in time gives us a platform to do just that. And the final two things is small steps, like get back to the priorities that really matter and be, be grat- have some gratitude for the small steps. And then the other part of it is that gratitude piece is that as a corporate leader, you can weave in gratitude for the current moment even our challenges like what are our our small wins what are our big wins it's so often in corporate life that the negative news like just like the media travels Mm -hmm. the fastest and we forget about some of our small victories leaders at the top hr leaders can say okay what are we grateful for and being grateful doesn't mean we're satisfied like we're doesn't mean that we're done it just means that we recognize that we're making progress and we can use those moments of progress Moments of accomplishment, if you will, to build into tomorrow. So we gain momentum as opposed to just harping on the things that are wrong. Uh, And I think this moment in time demands that we have more gratitude in the moment, even gratitude for this particular challenge, because this challenge is going to stay with us for quite some time. And it's going to be difficult. It's a tough road to pedal through. But but we we can do it if we decide to do it together.
1: I think that's appropriate language. Uh, I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of those sentiments, but from a, uh, I know right now HR leaders, especially those trying to address, uh, I mean, COVID by itself is a whole can of worms. But let's yes, let's dance very slightly and carefully over to the current issues with Black Lives Matter, race relations in general, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, They uh, HR is often being pulled into or uh, or or leading the charge either way um, into thinking about whether you know what 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 are the appropriate actions that need to be taken here. So there's you know do you do you post on your website a message of support? Do you email all your donors if you're a nonprofit a message of support? What does that, does a message of support do anything? Do we need to evaluate internal policies? There's a lot of different pieces involved here. Um, in working together as a team, uh, one thing that I've, I've, I've gotten feedback from listeners on is that people are so uh, scared at the moment that, for example, in, in your kind of example of having gratitude for the event, um, that any expression of positivity uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Any expression of positivity um, about anything uh, is a is is minimizing the negative effects. So, for example, after you were hit by your you know hit by this SUV, if your company had sent an email that was like you know, we're so excited uh, for Michael's opportunities now (laughs) that he can't walk, right? Um, There's a put, there's this immediate, uh, you know, it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be tough for all of us, but this is going to be great. In the end, Michael's going to come out better than before. Um, It may work, but you may also have been somewhat resentful of that message. Um, uh, Do you have any kind of advice for how to start these conversations or how to uh, take these sorts of gratitude actions in a broader or more corporate or, or open environment. As, I mean, as an as internally, it's obviously the right policy. It's obviously what a leader needs to do in order to view, in order to correctly calibrate his vision or her vision um, in terms of what opportunities are there, how do we move forward. It's absolutely right. But when it comes to internal or external com- communications inside a company, I fear that uh, listening to your story, there would be pushback, significant pushback to doing that.
2: Yeah. So I think every company should have a good copy editor and a good commun- corporate communication <laughs> department. Yeah. So I would say not to wordsmith during our conversation, but the, the message of like, hey, we're excited for Michael, we're excited for this moment, um, looking for a different word to describe it, to say, hey, this this moment has come to light. Um, Covid's allowed us, I think COVID has allowed us to look at Black Lives Matter through a different lens, because we've looked through this lens before. And because of just the pace of life, this moment for me and a whole bunch of other people I've spoken to feels different. At the same time, many people I've talked to feel, they feel like, well, we've seen this movie before. So mm-hmm. I think we can articulate that, yes, a company statement is needed in this moment for companies that haven't made a statement, I think they're missing the moment. I think it's an external communication out, but there's also internal communications in. It could be a, we know we have a lot of work to do ahead, just like Michael has a lot of work ahead of him. The way we do it though, is through greater awareness. Sometimes we need to learn, sometimes we need to unlearn. We also know this about Michael's case that he can't do this alone, just like we can't do Black Lives Matter alone. Everyone needs to chip in. So if you can offer support to Michael or offer support to your your Black colleagues or your colleagues of color to, to learn mm. maybe from them, to unlearn, to help. Others who are struggling in this moment, maybe some of your white colleagues, so that we are going to do it together. And we're going to do it by taking small intentional action. And maybe, and sometimes we'll take big intentional action, just like Michael will have to do. And then along the way, we can be grateful for our progress, but know that we're never satisfied with it because this is a long haul that's mm-hmm. in front of us. So having a message like that, that this this moment is now front and center for us. We have more awareness. We can see more frames of this movie. And so we can be thankful for the awareness. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily joyful for it or excited about it, Mm -hmm. but it is an opportunity for us to address what should have been addressed, um, you know, since the beginning of time, since we started our country, you know, our country started with this economic model and we've, The system has been built up around it to support it. So now, you know, for me, when I talk about having your last bad day, for me, it's not the land of unicorns and rainbows. It's the day where you decide you're going to write a new story, you're going to follow a new script. And I think this moment in time, when we look at the economy, COVID, and inequity and inequality, not only for Black lives, but a whole bunch of other marginalized groups, this is an opportunity to write a new script, to write a new story. For me, this is a last day bad, last bad day moment for our country. Hmm. And it will take effort day in and day out. So for me in my recovery, I had a little mantra, work hard a day to create a better tomorrow. So I would I would just fight to make as much progress as I could, as micro as it was. Cause I knew those baby steps tied together over a week, I could make more progress. And I think in some ways, Progress on this particular issue will not come fast enough, but we can't be satisfied with an external memo, an internal town hall and black lives matter posts on Instagram. and maybe marching individually. The real brass tacks of it all is how do we change how we do things within our company?
1: Interesting. The, uh, those, the, the actions alone of support that you mentioned um, are difficult enough for many organizations to uh, commit to because they feel that they'll alienate uh, either clients or donors or um, they they don't, they don't, and I don't know if we honestly, Michael, we're a bit, this is, this is the real stuff. It's not normally, you know, I, 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 we like to talk about processes here. So um I guess one thing I would say is if if you're comfortable with it I'm happy to go down this road we can yeah, talk about it Yeah I
2: am I'm really right. I'm I'm kind of I haven't I'm had comfortable. A,
1: All right yeah. so
2: I'm totally so, game yeah cuz I think so
1: as yeah, a la- as kind of the last if you if you use this last bad day story if you're thinking about these bad moments to turning to a bad day these are kind of some of the key ideas as an executive coach but as an executive coach you're also weighing in on the big matters of the day so we're gonna kind of do a little little talk about this, and uh, and and see where we go from there. So when you think, uh, "Hey, I've got a, I'm, a, I'm a tire shop. Here I am on, you know, in a in, in my town, and we we change tires, we put on new tires. That's what we do. And um, their office manager, who is also in charge of the employee handbook and complying with the law, uh, this is a common person. This is someone who's out there. And perhaps they have some people on staff who feel that they should make a message of support. I mean, the bare minimum stuff you were discussing, an external message of support, some sort of internal communication and a a discussion among the employees, that alone is an incredibly high bar. They, uh, many of those organizations are going to feel incredibly uncomfortable moving into that. Work is a place you go to do your work and go home. Why would they step into that? Why should they step into it? Or it, it, another way that you could possibly talk about it is what would be the framework for evaluating a decision like that? Um, if you were kind of advising one of these business owners.
2: I would, in terms of advisement, I would want, you know, would want to sit down with them and say, okay, you know, how do they, how do they see current day and what side of history do they want to be on? So we, Continue to make progress, although albeit at a glacial pace. We have events like these events with, with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter that are lightning bolt moments that gain the nation's attention. And so then we can accelerate our progress. So, business is going to continue to change. The community in which they work will continue to change. And how do they want to represent their brand? And how do they want their brand, their company, to speak to their community? And I would also work with them with this concept that as they do their work, you know, putting on tires, right? Sure. So basic, basic job. We all need tires, and you can say, well, it's just like I just put on tires. But you know what? Putting on tires is that's a safety thing, right? You you change you change tires that are unsafe tires, and you put on safe tires for a driver. Then they're more likely to obviously drive better if those tires don't get changed. There's there's a risk that comes to the driver of that automobile, but everyone else around them. So what they do is just not changing tires. They create they create safety in their community by doing their right. job well. And I would want to take that mission. They may not see it that way. They may just say, we just do tires, Michael. But I <laughs> see it as, no, you're providing safety and security to a community, because what happens to one driver happens to all of us. There's a cascade, a ripple, um, you know, type of effect when we drive. I mean, anyone who's been in a traffic jam knows that. So I would want to talk to them about the purpose of their work, the mission, and the branding that they want for their company, and then we'd talk through like, okay, what are the what are the barriers to putting a message out there? What what are they risking when they do that? Or at least what they think they're risking. Hmm. Because this is a the moment then to say, just like we put tires on your car car that are better, that are safer, that provide security, we also want to be a company that provides safety and security for all of our community members. Ones who are our customers and ones that may become our customers you know, in the future that that's who we are as a company. Uh, and if they want to step into that that type of mission, that type of statement, and right. to work with them on crafting internal and external communications and then processes within their company to say, what can we do to shift our perspective on this moment? Because maybe some of their workers have also followed a script. Like when I was growing up, my high school had four students of color, it was 432 kids. I lived in Wonder Bread. So, 432 <laughs> kids, four students of color. And I didn't really understand what it was like, you know, a diverse population until I got my first job out of college and I happened to work in Washington, D.C. So, some people, I don't think we have to have this moment that they have to apologize for their upbringing. But now that we have an opportunity to say, okay, well, maybe I can ex- expand my awareness. And maybe we want to send a message and stand, you know, back that message up with our actions that sends a message as to who we are as a company out to the greater community that ties into the overall mission and the purpose of what we do. So I would start, I would start there um, and see, see where they're open to it and see where there might be some hesitation. And then we would talk through the hesitation.
1: Interesting. When the, uh, you know, your your discussion of are you changing tires or uh, creating safety in the community, it, there's an old anecdote that everybody, a lot of business owners are familiar with. But it's, you know, there are three guys uh, building a wall. Have you heard this? where are uh,
2: I might have, but share. Yeah. So uh, so
1: there's uh, three guys, and they're each one's building a wall. Uh, they're working on a, on a big project, and uh, he goes up to the first guy and he sees the walls kind of wobbly, and he he said, "Hey, what are you doing?" He says, "I'm I'm laying bricks." Uh, which is true. He goes to the second guy and it's uh, a better wall and it's a uh, uh, straighter and cleaner. And, and and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a wall to keep the elements out. Okay. All right. And then he goes to the third guy and it's perfect work and glorious. And he, he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral to God. Right. Mm. So the, the vision of what your mission is, what are you trying to accomplish has immediate effects on the, the, I mean, if you want to go to the pure uh bottom line idea, it, it has effects on the bottom line. By by having people incorporate it into a broader vision or a more meaningful vision, you get better work. Um and uh it has to be an 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 in a truly held vision, belief in what you're doing. Uh but by shifting that from what are we doing, we're changing tires, to well, we're we're protecting the members of our community from dying, we're lowering the incidence of mothers who are dead with children, um, or something like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental shift, but it probably means they're going to be less likely to forget the lug nuts, right? Um, so that's a, a, an interesting mind shift. And it's a, an interesting opportunity, uh, If again, to go back to your, how do we turn these challenges into opportunities? Obviously, there's a cultural and broad opportunity and there's an opportunity in the uh, 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 development and equality of the country, all those sorts of things. But there's also an opportunity from a business perspective. If, you've, if you are feeling truly moved by what's happening uh, in the country and you haven't, your company right now is one that is very focused on a minimal goal, on a simple goal changing tires, uh, taking care of kids, but you want to change that. You want to broaden it. You want to be able to have meaningful work. This could be an opportunity that allows you to make that shift. As a small business owner, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, we start in positions where our job is to do this thing and we, we grow a, a company that does a thing. Uh, but as you as you become more successful, the shift to making that work meaningful um, is difficult to make sometimes because your employees have may have resistance to moving the conversation in that direction. Uh, this could be an opportunity to do so. So that's an, an interesting point there.
2: Yeah. I, I absolutely I agree. And then it's also I think Rami is is taking an attitude or a perspective instead of looking at the world through a lens of scarcity, which is the common model of fear, and there's only so much to go around. It's if we take this action, if we step into this moment in history, how do, how can we look at the world through a lens of, lens of abundance? So maybe some of the past practices of this tire shop has alienated, but they don't know it. Part of the population, and because they, they haven't been seen as inclusive or welcoming or whatever other word we want to use. And so now if we open up to say, you know what, we wanna stand on the right side of history. We also wanna take action. And we may not necessarily know what action we need to take right now, but we're committed to taking action. And we're committed to learning from our customers who are colored, you know, know, and in our black communities, in our brown communities and learning together and taking action together because we are committed to this. Then it can open up, I think, other possibilities for that business to make a greater difference, to help fulfill their mission even further. And with it, sorry, the bottom line of running a business, I think the top line and the bottom line will be impacted, but there's also something more important. It's the imprint you make. It's the soul of your business. And this is a moment to look in the mirror and check the soul of all of our businesses, besides just the bottom line and top line. What do we stand for and what kind of impact do we want to make? What kind of legacy do we want to leave behind? And I think this moment calls for that type of reflection uh, for us as individuals, but also for us as business leaders.
1: Well, Michael, I think we've had, uh, we've just scratched the surface of this conversation, but we're coming up on, uh, towards the end of our podcast. And I'd like to get, go through a couple of quick questions that, that we we try to ask most of our guests and it's not, um, I hate to kind of break off the conversation, but I think we've given some good thought to it. And I hope some of our listeners have found this conversation to be, um, illuminating or at least sparked an idea internally, um, let me ask you a couple of quick questions. Just these are totally, these are what we call our our, our fire round, our quick quick stuff, uh, so that people can maybe get to know you better. Uh, your book, Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows, Winning at Work and in Life, uh, is available on your website. But if you had to go back to when you started your organization uh, and recommend one book to go alongside your own, what would, what book would you recommend?
2: I often recommend The Alchemist.
1: Ah, uh, that's a great book. We'll have a link down in the description below. Um, but yeah, th- speaking of your ideas of abundance and and uh, ah, I, I, I love that. I can't remember the guy. The, it's a hard name. Um, the Alchemist. I have to look it up. Uh, Paulo Co- Co- Coelho. I always have yes. trouble with. So I'm going to let yeah. you
2: try to pronounce it. Yeah. I, always, yeah, I always watch it. But it's it's about abundance. It's about a journey. It's um, it's a great tale, and it's one of the books I. I often recommend one of my favorites.
1: If you could go back and whisper in your ear and and with, with your foreknowledge, is there an action that you've taken over the course of your, um, um, entrepreneurial running your company that you'd whisper back and go, don't do that. This, maybe it's one client. Maybe it's one thing. What, what would you tell yourself? Hey, take a step back and let's, let's, let's not go down that road.
2: I would say in the beginning, I would, this goes back to comparison. I would compare mm. my beginning to other people's middle. Yeah. So I would consume other content of quote unquote little air quotes here of people online who have made it. And I'd be like, oh, I have to do it like them. Right. So that's the first year. I think I wasted a little bit of that first year doing that comparison. Yeah. What I would whisper in my ear is just do you, be you, speak, speak to your people. Let them do them, and you'll be very happy.
1: All right. And in the next six months in the future, what have you got uh, kind of floating around on the dry erase board as an idea? What is it that that you're excited or evaluating right now that's going to happen in the next six months?
2: Well, something that's going to happen in the next three weeks is on July 11th, I celebrate 19 years since my last bad day and to celebrate, to celebrate life. I'm riding my bike inside for 19 hours for 19 charities, supporting others during this moment in time. So I am really looking forward to that. It's, it's mentally and physically draining. Some people have called it crazy, but what is crazier is the, the racism, the sexism, the poverty, the hunger, the kids feel all that. That we've tolerated, that's crazier than riding my bike inside for 19 hours. So, the ride is called the Thank You 19 Ride. It's a ride to celebrate life, but it's also a ride to celebrate all those who are supporting others at this moment in time. Because I know I'm only here today because so many people supported me when I needed the most help. So, I am most excited about that over the next three weeks. And then from there, I bet I have a few more projects for the the remaining part of the la- next six months.
1: How how bet so? Well, that sounds that's that's going to be a heck of a thing. Uh, Nineteen hour bike rides a long time, man. You, you've been it prepping is. for it. The I've train, been prepping. Oh yeah.
2: So I did two hundred miles on Saturday. I rode eleven hours. So uh, it's going to be the longest ride I've ever done in my life, and I'm riding basically fifty minutes, ten minute breaks. Each mm. hour, upon the hour, riding from twelve nineteen a.m. to seven nineteen p.m., and it's it's all around the whole fact that it's nineteen years this year, and we had this thing called COVID nineteen, and I was yeah. like, wow, there's something there with the number nineteen. So we're putting stuff stuff together, and of the nineteen charities, I know there's one that speaks to someone, and we get to raise some money for them, and pump them up and give them publicity because they're doing amazing work and we get to celebrate life along the way. So I'm looking forward to it. I probably will not ride my bike on July 12th (laughs) or until July 13th, but on July 11th, I'll be on that bike for quite some time.
1: I bet. Well, uh, so if people have been listening and they're thinking, you know, I I like, I like Michael's ideas. This is a, uh, you know, we have a lot, happening in the world and in our business. And and I would really like to maybe have a conversation with Michael about, uh, bringing him in as a coach or talking with us more, um, or heck, I just like the guy and I'd like to have a conversation. How should they reach you? And, um, is there anybody who maybe, uh, isn't a good fit to reach out right now?
2: So anyone can reach me through my website, which is com. Link in and the description
1: they're... below.
2: Yeah. And there they can grab my free workbook, which is a better life workbook that helps them build resilience and also manage their energy. That's something that we also have to manage quite well during this moment in time. So we don't bring just our energy leftovers to the people that we love the most. As far as like the fit, I would say, you know, the people that I gravitate towards are people who want to create a better tomorrow. So if you are happy with how it's always been, and you're like, I don't see any need to like grow and develop. You're probably not a good fit. That doesn't mean I'm judging it. Um, I still would be open to a conversation because I just like connecting with people. And sometimes those conversations lead to like, well, you know, there's that one thing, Michael. So I would, <laughs> you know, so who like I'll leave it up to that person. But I'm, you know, I, I've been given a second shot at all this. And for me, I'm doing what I believe I'm meant to do. And if I can help people shift their perspective on things to step fully into this wonderful life we have, to change things for the better from a corporate perspective, from a business perspective, or just in their own living rooms, then I'm all about it. It brings me a lot of joy. It brings me a lot of happiness. And I'm excited to do it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, like you said, links in the description below, uh, give a click, check out, download his workbook for, uh, helping prevent turning a bad moment into a bad day. All kinds of great information in there. Check him out online. Michael, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your, uh, your wisdom with us.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Rami. I hope you have a wonderful day ahead.
1: You too.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at People Processes. Go to peopleprocesses.com, subscribe, and get some of our subscriber-only content. And if you got something out of this, make sure you share it with anyone you know. Thank you for tuning in. Now it's time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.